I'm a honky. I don't try to argue out of it. You can call me a bohunk. I don't mind. You ever hear tell of a bohunk and a wood pile joker? You ever hear tell of catch a bohunk by the toe? Depends on how you mean it. How'd you mean it? Like I said it, now don't cry me because I didn't make up no names. No, you breathe it in when you're born and you spit it out from then on. That name sure bugs you, don't it? Well, that's the way it is. And you're stuck with it because I didn't make any rules. No, but you sure live by them. Everybody lives by them. Everybody's stuck with what it is. Even them swamp animals. Even that weasel. You calling me a weasel? No, I'm calling you a white man. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Dahl. And this week we watched the second film in the 1956? No. Eight. Eight. How did that happen? In the 1958 nominees... The Defiant Ones, starring Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier. Yeah, the story of two escaped convicts competing to see how many metaphors for Southern society they can be trapped in at the same time. (laughs) Which is, like, the movie's strength and also a little bit why it... I mean, it's a good movie, but it didn't grab me, grab me, because, like, Sidney Poitier is here, and he's really good, but also, like, he doesn't get a lot of opportunities to perform because we're so busy being trapped in these metaphors. Yeah, the few times that he gets moments for little speeches or monologues or whatever are really fucking good. Yeah. I mean, also, we're, we're... Yes, we are definitely trapped in these various uh, metaphors for Southern society. But there's also the whole thing of them like being chased, which takes up a good amount of time as well, which is not a bad thing. But it it is, I mean, you have t- two really great actors here in this movie that alternates between being like the fugitive yeah. <laughs> and Grapes of Wrath. <laughs> yeah, and I think if that movie... It had a little bit better of a handle on how to balance those tones. Mm -hmm. I'm coming down really hard on this movie that I don't think, like, on any level I could go below a 7 on. Like, if we broke this down into, like, a whole bunch of different scores. I don't think any part of this movie is bad, per se. Mm -hmm. But I did sort of watch it going, now, why don't I like this more? Or get really excited by certain moments and go, there, that's it. That's the thing. I do that thing. Um... (laughs) More than I was, like, engrossed by it. Yeah. Um, And, like, the the there, that's the thing, do, that thing, thing is most when they get caught in the middle of the movie by the company town. But, like, we should go through the plot because it's not like there's a shit ton of it here. Yeah, that's true. It is, it is very straightforward. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, essentially a minute into this movie... It's the fugitive. Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier are a white guy and a black guy who have been chained together during this prison transport. The van they're in gets into a car accident and they escape. Um, And the entire rest of the movie is them trying to get 
you know, away from the cops that are chasing them to take them back to jail. Also to figure out some way to cut this chain between them because they fucking hate each other. Yeah, important also to note here that before the accident happens, Tony Curtis's character, who is Joker, has called Sidney Poitier's character, whose name is Cullen, the N-word, which, like... Yeah. So, yes, they are chained together, but they are not pals. Yeah, and specifically the, like, the sheriff who I like as a character, but is another thing in practice where I'm like, okay, but, like, why are we doing this exactly like this? Anyway, at some point during the plot line about the people chasing them, the warden of the prison they were in is like, I would not even bother chasing them. They will kill each other within five miles. Like, I just, like, it'll be fine. And they come remarkably close several times. Yes, they do. They go on the run and eventually, I mean, there's like five eventuallys here uh, because they have sort of a lot of these small incidents that we should get into, but I don't know if we need to get into them in the plot summary. Uh, But the first like really major incident, I would say, is when they get caught trying to break into the general store in this company town to grab something to to file the chain or get rid of the chain. And the people in this town just immediately go to, we're going to hang him. Uh, and Tony Curtis is like, you mean hang him? And they're like, no, we're going to hang both of you. Yep. <laughs> and uh, they get out of that jam in a way we're going to talk about later, because it's the best part of the fucking movie, in my opinion. And end up then getting found by this, like, eight-year-old kid and his hot mom who wants to fuck. But specifically Tony Curtis, because she, like everyone else, is in the American South and is a racist. Yep. And uh, tries to kill Sidney Poitier specifically so she can keep banging Tony Curtis. Uh, Tony Curtis, by this point, is like, you know what? I actually am not going to betray this guy. Um, partially because he thinks I will, and I don't want to give him the satisfaction. Um, (laughs) and goes back for him, saves him, but then they sort of both get caught as a result. Um, and the end of the movie is just like, they don't get away, but they're united. Like, they, they get caught united. And that's something, I guess. And Tony Curtis is probably going to die. Oh, right, because he gets shot by the little kid when he tries to leave. Yeah. I, I forgot to mention that part, because I didn't really particularly feel for Tony Curtis. So I was like, oh, right, yeah, he got shot. He's a better guy at the end of the movie than he is at the beginning, for sure. Yes. But I'm not quite fully on the level of, like, I don't know. We'll get into the politics of sort of what this movie keeps saying over and over in all of its metaphors, which is, I mean, I guess we can get into it now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Essentially that like poor white men and black men are essentially both being constrained or chained together by the people in power um, and forced to fight each other rather than... Fight over scraps, essentially. Right. And if they would only cooperate, then yeah, they could better survive. And, like, I think this movie is at its least interesting when that's kind of all there is to the metaphor. And is at its most interesting when it kind of does some stuff with that. T- talks a little bit more about, like, hey, they don't, though. Like, and not just because, like, they're too, like... 
a lot of white people in the South prefer being racist to getting one up on the man. Yeah. Oh, I yes, but I think that that the point of this film is that you know you shouldn't, I guess. Right, and like I think, I think there is a version of that that's like they're just being bamboozled and they don't know any better. And I think this movie is at its most interesting when it's like, actually, they might kind of know better, and just do it anyway. And that doesn't invalidate any other part of this thing. It doesn't invalidate that, like, everybody in this equation's getting screwed and they should work together against an actual enemy here. It just adds some sort of complexity and characterization to that worldview that at some points in this movie are kind of lacking. But at other points are, like, this is why I love so much the just sort of whole section about the lynching about the, the the planned lynching in this company town, is like, that's where characters are people most clearly instead of just sort of like illustrations of this broad narrative that like, hi, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before. This is a weird thing for me to be complaining about. <laughs> like, this is my thing is <laughs> like really explicit genre metaphor about the state of the world. Um, but there's just so much fun in this. Well, fun is the wrong fucking word. But like, there's so much enjoyment and artistry in that worldview being fleshed out that I get a little disappointed whenever the movie's like, "Hey, it's that thing again. It's the thing I keep trying to tell you." Yeah, I think it's really to Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier's credit that they managed to get characters out of that. Yeah, I think that they're both doing really good jobs. Uh, I also, I feel like I I ended up giving this movie more credit than maybe it deserves because from the beginning, I was very worried that it was going to do a thing that I have seen done so many times in movies that are like, hey, there's a black person and a white person and then, you know, they have to do a thing together despite not trusting one another where... By the end of the movie, it is considered an equal amount of growth, I guess, and as important and like they started in the same place mm-hmm. for the white racist to no longer be malignantly racist and the black person to have learned to trust a white person. And it's like, yeah. See, the problem there is that a black person in the South in the 50s or the 40s or today or literally anywhere, let's be real, uh, at least in the United States and Europe, for a black person to learn to trust a white person, you know, their their distrust is based on some pretty legitimate evidence, <laughs> whereas the racism is not. So whenever those things are treated as, like, equal amounts of growth, I always have a really weird feeling about that. Like, like the movie is saying, oh, well, white people need to not be racist, but also black people need to trust white people. And those things are, are equal. And I'm like, they're not. <laughs> they're really not. Yeah. This movie does not do that, which I was shocked by. Because I kept waiting for it to happen. I mean, I will say, I think on paper, this movie does that. It's just that Sidney Protea doesn't do that. And Tony Curtis doesn't do it. Tony Curtis is like, he's definitely playing, oh, there is absolutely no reason for this 
black guy to trust y'all. <laughs> yeah. Because there's not. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And like, it is, this movie, I think, is actually at its sort of most elegant and at its most enjoyable when it is dealing with that through metaphor. Like, I mean, like, the best metaphor in this movie is when they both fall in the pit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And is is the moment of just, God, how many metaphors for society can these two fucking guys be stuck in at the same time? Yeah, so so to explain that, at some point they fall in a pit and it is raining. Yeah. And it is, what would you say, like eight feet deep? Ten feet? Ten feet, maybe a little bit more. And it's it's a clay pit. Yeah. There is no, like, it is mud on all sides there's some yeah. tree roots <laughs> like that's that's it they've got a handful of handholds also as somebody who fell and broke their ankle and was not allowed to even put it down to rest my foot couldn't put weight on it for eight weeks because i was rock climbing my hands were so fucking sweaty during this entire scene, and it goes on for a long time. Yeah. It is very effective. But yeah, so they're still chained to each other's wrists at this point, and they are trying to climb this uh, mud col- collapsing mud wall of this pit on five tree roots or something that are sticking out. Yeah. And of course, always keep falling. And like explicitly, the only way out of the pit is not even one of them stands on the other one's shoulders. It's it's got to be Sidney Poitier at the bottom. Like it's got it has like that's kind of the only way it's going to work for just sort of various logistical reasons. He's got to let a white guy stand on his shoulders. Um, Yeah. And like, yeah, there we go. Like, in, in like, five or six different things of just, like, it's that act of trust we're talking about. It's both of them acknowledging without any overwrought dialogue that, like, that act of trust is under deep duress. <laughs> like, he has to have no choice yes. and probably would need to, right? Like, that... Right, yeah. And, like, it is the movie showing and not telling... And it is the movie just letting this situation be as metaphorically potent as it is instead of kind of this movie can stack the deck at some points. And this movie can also go like, here, do you see? Do you see at some points? And this one is like, I guess it's a little contrived that like this cart comes by and they both immediately decide to jump into this pit. Also that there is a pit just there. <laughs> I don't know. I like I don't know explicitly where this is in the south, but I grew up in Georgia and there's a fair number of just like open fucking clay pits. Sure, okay. <laughs> I, I like cuz you I mean I mean I believe you. There's sort of various kinds of both mining and just sort of reasons why historically you just dig fucking big holes in the ground in in southern mud sometimes um so it's not like the craziest thing on earth but like it's it's a little bit contrived to get you there but then once they're in there you're like okay this could happen and also i see what we're doing here like 
I, I just immediately you look at the sides of this pit and you're like, oh, they aren't getting out of this thing. Like they are trapped here. And this comes off the back of this sort of one two punch of a, a scene I liked. OK, where Tony Curtis, where Joker discusses that his sort of job before he went criminal was parking cars. He was a valet at a fancy hotel. And and he did not love it. He did not love it. Figured out that like, hey, the the rich fucks inside are always just going to make me be the servant. And then they get into an argument about which one of them has to be more servile as a servant at this hotel that is increasingly a metaphor for all of society. Right. This now theoretical hotel <laughs> that had been a real hotel. <laughs> Yeah. And you're like, oh, the, I, I like it okay, but you also go like, oh, this is what the whole movie is, right? And you go like, well, now that I know this is what the whole movie is, I don't know how much more of that I need. And then they fall in the pit and you're like, oh, this is actually better. Like, this is a way better version of saying that same thing. Yeah. There are these steep walls. It's impossible to climb out. Nobody's going to help you. In fact, just the surface of the world is like, fuck you, stay down there. <laughs> and your only way out is making common cause with somebody you rightly hate <laughs> if you're Sidney Poitier. <laughs> well, and, of course, they will step on you to get ahead. Yeah. Anyway, that scene is great and then leads us into them sort of actually opening up to each other about their backstory as they're waiting for everybody to go to sleep so that they can get into this company store. Mostly Sidney Poitier saying just like, Everybody keeps telling me to calm down and not be so fucking angry, and they don't understand how angry I am. And you're like, oh shit, that actually really checks out. Yeah. And is an expression of something that, like you say, even a lot of modern movies about racism do not get at. They really don't. And he has the whole thing about how, you know, everybody's always been telling me that. My mom told me that. My wife tells me that. She's raising our kid that way, where, like, I don't know, they have a son. It doesn't really matter. But his kid isn't allowed to express being angry and it's like wow that's that shit hits hard you know what i think is actually really another thing that's actually really interesting about this movie is that colin sydney portier's character i think is very sympathetic and joker tony curtis's character is not yeah i don't know if he if i was supposed to like him uh but i didn't i thought he was a fucking asshole i think that that's actually important because then when he does what he does at the end it's a surprise. Yeah. I mean, I think he was going to leave that woman because he was freaked out by how she was like, let's run away together. And he's like, you literally don't know my name, lady. But that he went after Cullen to try to save him was a surprise. And I think that that the thing where Cullen is talking about how angry he is and how everybody just tells him not to be coming right after Joker telling this story about how he hates the word thanks because... He has to say it to the rich fucks at the hotel, whether or not they tip him, even though he's the one who's doing something for them. Yeah. It really puts into context that whole, like, yes, poor white people have it rough. Not anywhere near as fucking rough as black people do. Yeah. And I, I thought that that was really impressive. This movie constantly surprised me in not making... It was like, yes... Poor white people and black people should make common cause. But it was also like, 
but their situations are not equal. (laughs) They're both being shit on by the man or society or law enforcement or whatever, but there still isn't equality at that level either. (laughs) Yeah, I think this movie is sort of very clear that they're like, I mean, God, this is a green book. Like it, like this is not very far in our 2022 past that we are still watching movies that are like, and in a lot of ways, their situations are the same. And this movie really never goes there. Yeah. This movie believes they're both being shit on, which is prob- which is accurate. But at no point is this movie like, and therefore they're the same. Or like, they're, we're not so different, you and I. It's like, the way they are not so different is they are the defiant ones. Yes. What they are defiant of, how they are defiant. Why? Why they <laughs> are here. Yeah. Are very different. And this movie, like, is pretty good at exploring that. I think, like, the sort of point of, in terms of plot, that moment of them opening up while they're waiting for everybody to go to sleep, is it's this initial moment where they kind of seem to come to an understanding and you're at a, like, oh, maybe they really can be friends. And then it goes wrong, (laughs) Um, both in terms of then they get caught and in terms of then when they get caught, And it becomes clear that the town is going to hang them. Tony Curtis does immediately go like, no, you can't hang me. I'm white. And the best singular moment of performance in this movie is the look Sidney Poitier gives to that. (laughs) Yep. Well, because it's definitely that, oh, I like I thought we were getting somewhere. But when it comes down to it, I, I see exactly... Who how you you're are. going to well yeah and how yeah. you're going to try to use the one thing that you have over me over me and i think it's interesting that their uh their reasons for being in jail in the first place are so much related to the difference in how white people and black people are treated because tony curtis is basically in jail for indulging in some in white male entitlement you know he feels like he should be making more money than he has. He feels like he should have more than he does. And uh, he has no regrets. And he's like, if I had only stolen on a bigger level, then I wouldn't have gone to jail. And Sidney Poitier is in jail because somebody tried to come on his land and harass him and take it from him. Yeah. And he fought back and defended himself and his family. And that's a very different thing. Tony Curtis is trying to take shit that doesn't belong to him and feels entitled to it because he's a white man. Yeah. And Sidney Poitier is like trying to just defend something that is his from somebody else who feels entitled to it because Sidney Poitier is black. Yeah. And again, I'm kind of like talking myself, I guess, like higher and higher on this movie because like it is complex in the sense of what Joker does to turn it around in Act 3, not really turn it around, but turn away from being just a gigantic shit, (laughs) is this sort of realization he has of, like, his philosophy is, like, when you're small time, you're a thief, but when you're, you know, when you steal enough shit, you're just a taker, and society just lets you take shit. Yeah, sure. And, like, hey, I've been looking at television for a while. That seems accurate in some ways. But then also you sort of he comes to this kind of realization, I think, of like, 
he doesn't actually have that in him. He doesn't have it in him to be that huge of an asshole to sort of indiscriminately just not give a shit who he's taking from. (laughs) And that is a surprise. You're right. That like, you do kind of think like, I mean, he is an asshole. So like, why not in for a penny and for a pound it? But like, he doesn't in this way that seems informed by his specific character and not informed by like, Well, it's act three, and so the white man and the black man need to come to understand each other. Yeah, I mean, I don't even feel like they're friends at the end as Tony Curtis is dying in Sidney Poitier's arms. (laughs) Yeah. And and I think that that's, you know, for the best. I definitely feel like Sidney Poitier is not thrilled about the situation, uh, any of it at all. Um, Not the least of which, obviously, is that he is about to be caught again. I don't think that he is, like, thrilled that Tony Curtis's character is dying, but it does not feel like, oh no, I'm losing my bestie, which a lesser movie would 100% play that. Yeah. And I think it would be way less affecting, honestly. And like, I think it's enough that like, hey, Sidney Poitier could get away. At this point, they're not chained together anymore. And Sidney Poitier gets on a train that he could escape on. And it is... That he reaches his hand out trying to pull Tony Curtis up on the train, that he ends up falling off the train. And and both of them then end up getting caught. And, like, that's enough. Like, you don't need to turn this into, like you say, and I did that because you're the best friend I ever had. <laughs> it's just like... No, which he... would just not be at all believable. <laughs> right. And again, a lesser movie would try to sell you on that shit of like, yeah, we've been, you know, barely allies and incredibly uncomfortable about it the whole time. But deep underneath, we just realize that we are the the best of friends and you're basically my brother now. And I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. But can we uh, actually let's go back because I want to talk about the with apologies to Tony Curtis, second best performance in this movie, which is Lon Chaney. Absolutely. <laughs> when they are caught, there is a strong manny asshole dude who's just real eager to do a lynching and like real eager to like teach everybody a lesson about how great racism is essentially is just like everybody needs to understand like is very clearly surprised tony curtis isn't also black because he was really looking forward to hanging two black guys and kind of just goes ahead and hangs tony curtis so he can hang sydney protier and uh that isn't lon cheney lon cheney is um instead this big guy whose name is literally Big Sam. Who barely speaks. He's that kind of, of guy. He like is kind of hulking and quiet. Yeah. Until he just kind of has enough and does a, a rhetorical move that, again, is like weirdly lived in in a way I like. Because he does the like, which one of you bloodthirsty fucks wants to come over here and kill him? Come on, come! I want to see the first one of you who'll come over and kill him. You there, with the torch, come over and burn out their eyes. And the thing I like about that is, there's a guy willing to burn out their eyes, and Lon Chaney has to grab him and punch him. Because <laughs> it's not just like, none of you actually have the stomach to be a monster. It's, 
most of you don't have the stomach to be a monster, and I'm going to punch the ones that do, which is an important distinction a lot of movies and stories don't make. Yeah, that's true. It's usually like, oh, well, now that we're called on it, none of us really would do it. And it's like, man, I I hate to tell you, but history tells us otherwise. (laughs) Yeah, some of you will do it, and I'm the one that's going to stop you. Um, is instead what's happening here. And it's just like, again, it's such a good lived-in character performance. Do they ever... The Wikipedia page says, when when Big Sam, when Lon Chaney comes in the morning and releases them, it's because he was once a chain gang prisoner himself. Yeah, didn't you... Does he ever... I was about to say, does he say that at any point in the movie? Because I didn't catch it no, if he does. No, but what happens is... Tony Curtis grabs his hand at one point. I don't know what he's doing, but he grabs his hand and looks at it. And he has this really bad scar around his wrist. He has the same scar around. Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I did not catch that, but like that is the level of subtlety and the level of, Oh, okay. That's where we are that this movie does at its best. And it lets that pass by at its best because it doesn't, on a certain level, it doesn't matter, right? Like, I didn't catch that, and I don't need to. I don't necessarily need to know the reasons why Big Sam is determined to show his humanity in this moment. Um, it's just like, yeah, sometimes people aren't a fucking asshole creep. Yeah, but the thing that's nice about it is whether or not you see it, it doesn't undermine this situation at all. You know, it doesn't... Yeah. It's not necessary to justify his actions, but it's also not like, oh, man, we didn't need that. Like, he could just be a good guy. Exactly. Because it is so subtle, I guess. Yeah. And, like, I think this movie can get a little too direct about stuff in a way where I'm like, eh, we didn't really need that. Um, And, like, a lot of that is screen test of time, right? A lot of that is, like, the intervening 60 years of movies about racism. Uh, And, like... Hey, this movie stars a black guy. We haven't really talked about that. <laughs> like, it's 1958. And what's up? There's a black guy here. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. And he's a star. Like, <laughs> yeah. not even like second tier. Not a co-star. I mean, I guess he's Tony Curtis's co-star. But, you know, they are the leads. Yeah. Um, they are. Which they I are think the- was like the first time that that had ever happened in American film history. <laughs> Probably. I mean, the titles of this movie make it very explicit because they do this really weird and interesting thing where both Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier are the title character. Like, it is Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier as the defiant ones. You are watching a movie about the two of them. Yeah. Which is, like, interesting from a film history perspective because, like, Hey, like you say, this is a black man starring as a title character in a film. It's also metaphorically what the movie is about. These two men are chained together. Like, it it works on a lot of levels, but it is a movie acutely aware of, like, its place in film history in that sense. Of, like, and also Sidney Poitier is here, and, like, we are going to make sure you're okay with it. Not by, like... Not in the sense of we're going to make this a, like, easy, like, soothing experience for you, but in the sense of 
we are going to front load that you are okay with it. Like, this is happening. Yeah, I'm really curious because it doesn't... I'm surprised that it doesn't say on the Wikipedia page that this was not met with some kind of American Daughters of the Confederacy protests or something. Uh, Because it really does feel like the kind of shit that people would have been mad about it's gotta be like i i it's gotta be just like not like not on the wikipedia page because there's just no way in 1958 that it wasn't met with like because just the most boring shit would be met with protests in major cities back then yeah oh i'm noticing now for the first time that it was released initially internationally which is very 1958 yeah they needed to prove uh in berlin (laughs) yeah that this movie was good that is an interesting choice too of all places yeah i mean it's also the other thing is it's a pretty communist movie yeah and the metaphor is not subtle as we have said yeah so i'm just surprised that it that it made it even for that reason the like well you know workers of the world unite and uh you can climb out of the pit together i mean that surprises me slightly less in that like no it checks out that people were so busy being racist about this they didn't notice they needed to be anti-communist about it like that yeah that's that's that true. seems accurate to american history that's that's true but it, I, I mean it's it's pretty good yeah you know it is uh it is pretty good and it is the beginning of stanley kramer's relationship with Sidney poitier uh stanley kramer is the director and he will also direct guess who's coming to dinner which is must be one of the movies that we are watching because it is amazing yes it is okay (laughs) i am i i was sort of looking at it today to be like and now it's the beginning of Sidney poitier's miracle run where he is the black guy in hollywood and that is true but it's a solid decade before we see him again is it that long it's 67 when we see In the Heat of the Night and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Oh, when we do. Yeah. For the podcast. Yeah. Not like in his filmography. Oh, no, no, no. No. When we do for... I, I do not believe... I didn't look at every one of these movies super duper carefully. But like, it is... Okay, so he gets Lilies in the Field in 63, which is still five years out. But, like, there's nothing for the next year. Raisin in the Sun didn't get nominated? That's wild. Uh, yeah. That movie is so good. It is... Everybody, watch the 1961 Raisin in the Sun, because it's incredible. But, like, you think so much, or I think so much, of just, like, a sort of pivotal thing about film history is this sort of... And then Sidney Poitier is here. There's a pre Sidney Poitier moment, and then post. And, like... He's so good in so much shit, and it's so immediate. No, it's not. It takes 10 years. It's not like he doesn't get work in between, but like, it is not, this is immediately followed up by In the Heat of the Night and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which is what I thought. Mm-hmm. It's That's 10 years from now. Yeah. Again, this is not like the most, like, I'm sure there are plenty of people listening to the podcast going like, yeah, fucking duh. Like, what are you talking about? But like- <laughs> <laughs> to me, it is a thing of, uh, it is surprising to me how 
much it isn't the Academy kind of grabbing onto the first thing that makes it look not racist, which is what I think a lot of about like Sidney Poitier movies is like, well, we this is our this is the black guy we can hold up and say we're not racist. And then they just kind of don't nominate a lot of his movies, actually, because they're pretty racist. They don't I mean, they don't nominate a lot of movies with black people in them or at least in Leeds. Today. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say at all, but you're right. Like, that the at all has gone on and continues to go on today. Yeah. That is notable. I think it is interesting, though, that the Golden Globes will go on to nominate him in 59, 61, 63, 65, 67... And for the world film favorite in 1968, 69, and 1970. So the Hollywood Foreign Press knows what's good, <laughs> which is unusual. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to take a moment. I think it's implied, but I do want to state very directly that even if every single Academy voter that ever voted for Sidney Poitier did it exclusively because they wanted to vote for a black guy to not look racist, that does not take away from the fact that Sidney Poitier is an amazing fucking actor. Yeah. Like, shockingly good. If their motives were wrong, fuck them, because he's just good. I've never seen, uh, I've never seen Blackboard Jungle, which was like his big breakout role. But this is only three years later, and it's kind of like he just emerged fully formed. Like, he's just fucking great. Yeah. Uh, Tony Curtis is, is good in this, too. I feel like his role is not as difficult to play <laughs> uh, at all. Yeah. I. He's fine in a way where I... Brando was... There were, like, sort of scheduling conflicts that kept this from being Sidney Poitier and Brando, which I'm not sure Brando would have been better than Tony Curtis necessarily, but Tony Curtis is like aggressively fine enough that I kind of like wish I could see that version of the movie, you know? I feel like Brando would be too sympathetic. I was, I. Because like even knowing all of the shit that I know about Marlon Brando in his personal life, I still fall for him on screen no matter what he is playing. And it's, you know. That's a problem sometimes. It would make... And I don't even find him attractive. It's not like, oh, well, Marlon Brando is so hot. Like, I know that there are plenty of people who feel that way. But I'm just like... Yeah. He's just always feeling so much. And he plays vulnerable and hurt in a way that I think would make that whole, like, I didn't steal enough stuff because if you do it big enough, you're just a taker. I would be like, oh, man, I can really feel the hurt there instead of the entitlement, which I think is really important here. I agree. I think it would have been overall a worse movie, but I do think essentially I think there's one scene where he would have been better and one scene where I would have been interested to watch his take on it for that reason. The one scene where it would have been better is... Horny single mom in a shed wanting to bang Marlon Brando would make a lot more sense. The scene where, like, they get to her house and she's doing all these, like, sassy little hip moves. You're like, lady, these are two dirty escaped cons. Like, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta calm down. I mean, I, the implication is that she, uh, like, just has not seen a man in ages and her husband is there like when he was around was only there two days a week or something because of his job yeah so uh i kind of get the impression that anyone white would have done for that racist lady yeah 
I that is definitely how it works in this version. And I kind of like the version where it's like, also another form of privilege we have to deal with here is that Marlon Brando's just so fucking hot. But the other sort of thing that I think would have been interesting, although I think you're right that it probably would have broken the movie in some way, is that Marlon Brando thing of him being kind of too stupid to really figure out how this works. Of, like, not Marlon Brando, but the characters he plays are often just, like, kind of just piecing together how society works in very basic ways. That's true. And Tony Curtis is, like, he is wrong, but he has, like, figured it out, quote-unquote. Yeah. And the the sort of version of Joker that's like, no, I think the problem, because it's clearly not that you can't steal anything in America. Right. I mean, come on. I think the problem is that I'm not stealing enough is like a take on the character I would have found interesting. Although I think you're right that like I kind of prefer Joker as a bit more of a shit. Yeah. Than I think Brando would have made it. Brando is always the one who's like, I just, I don't feel like his characters would ever have that thing. It would be this sort of revelation. You know what it would be? Is we would have this movie where like the revelation that black people have it rough would be feel like a child learning that whereas with tony curtis it's like uh, the revelation doesn't feel so um i don't know heavy-handed or even complete yeah (laughs) if you know what i mean it's sort of like he realizes that cullen has a rough time of of things and i think one of the the ways that the movie shows and not tells that is when they do get to the horny racist white lady's house and Tony Curtis tells her that she has to feed Sidney Poitier's character. You know, where's his food? Yeah. And she's like, wait, I have to feed him? And he's like, hell yeah, you have to feed him. This is an actually anti-racist action instead of a just not racist action. Yeah. But that's the only thing that we get. And it's very, like, it is... And it's good. It's actually more affecting for me than his, like, running through the swamp to go tell Cullen that he's gonna, you know, get stuck in quicksand because that lady was like, whatever, I'm just sent him out to the swamp to die. Uh, Yeah. And I think it's also, like, a moment that is... It comes on the heels of Sidney Poitier giving him the silent treatment for being such a racist shit about the lynching. Mm -hmm. That there is this sense... Whenever Joker is anti-racist or just not racist, that a little bit he's trying to stick it to a black guy by not being racist. Yeah, and I feel like Marlon Brando's characters would play that as a a revelation and not as like, yeah, I'm going to be anti-racist out of spite. See? Yeah. And like, I think it is to this movie's credit and like, um, like a lot of people in the South I actually knew who were kind of racist doing not racist things of like, hey, this is not actually always or even usually about some revelatory moment of personal growth. Right. Sometimes it's just like somebody literally with a gun to your head telling you to stop being a shit. And like, hey, that money spins too. Like, (laughs) if you, like, that works. And that like, if you are... Watching a movie, it is one of those ways where these movies do end up 
creating that false equivalence, making the movie about the white guy in this weird way of like, this was an opportunity for Tony Curtis to learn to not be racist rather than like, no, <laughs> like this is a movie about a white guy and a black guy that are chained together. And by necessity, that white guy does some things that are less racist than what he was doing at the start of the movie. Um, and, and like, I do think he's a different character and has grown and changed by the end of the movie. I just don't think it's this one-to-one -one relationship between him growing and changing and him becoming anti-racist. Yes. Yeah. I guess we should rate this movie. Yeah. I kind of tipped my hand toward a seven, but I think I talked myself up to a nine. I can't... Yeah, I'm going to give it a nine. Yeah. I can't quite go to a ten. There are, like... The stuff with the sheriff in the first act I kind of like, but then eventually you're like, why is this in this movie? Yeah. Like, I guess it's just to pad out the time. But, like, it, it is not a perfect film, but it has some perfect moments and some perfect performances in it. Totally agreed. And I would say also watch this movie. I would warn you, however, because I tried to find it on Apple movies because that's, like, the first place I look. Well, I'm going to be honest. The first place I look is pirate bay um but the second place i look when i've decided i have to pay for this movie is apple and then it wasn't there and i checked criterion and it wasn't on criterion right now and then i looked at hulu and it wasn't there and i looked at netflix and it wasn't there and i was like fine i'm gonna have to fucking pay bezos so i went to amazon and i clicked on the right poster and i clicked rent without really reading what came up after i clicked on the poster on my apple tv amazon app and it rented the 1986 remake. So I can watch that, I guess, in the next two days if I really wanted to. Um, it's streaming for free on YouTube. So <laughs> I was about to say, I regret to inform the Susan of however many days or hours ago um, that I just immediately Googled for 1958, the Defiant Ones. And saw that I could watch it for free on YouTube and did that. It's also on Pluto TV if you are um, a grandma with a very particular kind of smart television. Yeah, I'd never even heard of Pluto TV until I tried to rent this on Apple TV. And it was like, yeah, if you have a Pluto TV subscription, you can do this. And I was like, yeah, so I don't even know what that is, but cool. Our Roku occasionally tries to tell us what that is, and I'm like, no, thank you. Uh, I will say to Google, y'all have to get your ads on YouTube under control. Like, putting the ad in the middle of somebody's line. Uh, Adblock. <laughs> Come on. Adblock Plus does block ads in YouTube videos. Just for those of you curious about that. But not on Apple TV. Not on Apple TV, not on Roku, not on any kind of streaming device. You gotta watch on a laptop, and I would recommend it, because, yeah, this... that It literally was, like, so bad in the first 15 minutes when I was doing that that I was like, fuck it, and went and watched on my laptop. Because, yeah. Because it was bad. It was bad. Yeah. Uh, luckily, that only happened three times in the whole film. But the first one is like a six minute commercial break. Yeah. That happens in the middle of a line. And I was like, I, I guess I'm just going to have to fake it to myself that I know what the hell was happening right before. And I'll just uh, I'll pick it up out of context. 
exists. When we watch like YouTube just like on our TV regularly, it does that every like 10, 15 minutes. And so I thought that was what was going to happen. And I was like, I cannot. It usually does. But I've, yeah. I've never watched anything this long on YouTube before. Uh, at least it had ads. So anyway, yeah. enough about YouTube ads. I would say watch this movie, though, because it's really good. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would agree. I. I. I am a little less, like, I would not be jazzed to go downstairs and watch this movie again. Both because it's a little bit of a bummer and because the pacing is, I think, probably the thing I like about it the least. Like, there are just sort of some sequences where I'm just like, why are we doing this now? What are we doing? And then by the end of it, I get into the groove. But there are just sort of, like, parts where I'm just like, what are, huh? Okay. (laughs) But, like, yeah, it's a good movie. I cannot deny that, like, It's a pretty good way to spend your time. God, I just, like, can't... I don't know why this... As Am I secretly racist? Is that what's happening here? Um, Am I having a full nervous breakdown? That part's definitely true. But, like, I just don't jive with this movie quite as much as Susan does, and I don't really know why. I still really like it and can see objectively it's good. I just didn't enjoy the experience of watching it as much as I think Susan did. And eh. I think you need to have fallen and broken your ankle rock climbing. That's it. I think that's the trick. I've only ever (laughs) broken my arm while playing a video game. So that's just who I am as a person. And I think when you bring that experience into this movie... It maybe could, like, tighten up by another five, ten minutes. Um, (laughs) Uh, I think the movie could still (laughs) tighten up by five to ten minutes. And I don't know that I would be psyched to watch this movie again anytime soon. Or maybe ever. But I do think that it is worth seeing once. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Next week, though, we are watching Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, which... I'm really excited about. That'll be an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So tune in next week to hear us probably talk a lot about how Elizabeth Taylor is hot. And until then... I mean, Elizabeth Taylor is hot, but so is Sidney Poitier, and he's in this movie, and it was a movie. Yeah, he is hot. Yeah, we didn't talk about that enough. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Yeah, I mean... (laughs) That could be a whole nother hour. <laughs> yeah, I when we get to the when we get to in the heat of the night, Sydney Poitier, we'll have a lot of time to talk about how hot Sydney Poitier is. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. And the dogs. It's rest easy, John. Carlin. We gave him a hell of a run for it, didn't we? Yeah.